welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today, this is a catch-up episode. This is uh, an episode to get our bearings back with uh, where the season is. And after the January transfer window, it's a kind of a good time to take stock of where we're headed in the season. So, Also, we heard you asking for West Ham as the next team that we talk about. So this episode is going to be just a catch-up. But we promise we are working on a West Ham show too. So we heard you, and we will get that to you right after this episode. The first thing, though, crazy news, big news, as big of news as we've had in the Premier League probably, honestly, in the last five years or so, Jurgen Klopp leaving Liverpool. This is huge. This is one of the biggest names in this, the league for almost the last 10 years now. Uh, he's pretty much been synonymous with success in Liverpool since he's got there, and the league is definitely going to change uh, once he is no longer at the helm. Yeah, I think it's hard to understate kind of the power shifts uh, that are going to go on here. I think, you know, this is like one of the great Roman Empire emperors leaving, stepping down, um, and all you're doing is wondering what his replacement's going to mean for uh for the nation and for the nation of Liverpool here. And oftentimes, spoiler alert in history, when you have a great uh, a great leader stepping down, it doesn't tend to go quite as well afterward. And I think I hate to always bring it back to Sir Alex Ferguson, but he seems to be kind of a, a blueprint for a lot of what goes on in the league. And when he stepped down for Manchester United, United has obviously never been the same in the decades since. Jurgen Klopp not been there as long as as Manchester United and probably hasn't kind of taken over the club in the same way as uh, Sir Alex Ferguson had done at Manchester United, but obviously he has been monumental. He, Like you said, he is synonymous with the club. He's brought them back from their banter era, which they were finishing fourth place, fifth place, sixth place, seventh place. Roy Hodgson era, you know, bringing Kenny Dalglish. They were, they were floundering. Liverpool is a club which is, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world is was in a in a was drowning basically and they brought in this German guy um with crazy teeth, crazy personality, uh an aggressive heavy metal ta- uh, style of soccer and they've taken over the league. And so where Liverpool goes from here, I think you'd have to say this is a new era, but for at least this season, what do you think this means for Liverpool? That's a really good question. Something I've been kind of asking myself since uh, the news broke. And I think it really goes one of two ways, right? I, I don't think it goes down the middle. I think it's, you know, on opposite ends of the spectrum. Either the team kind of rallies around Klopp as this last dance. Hey, let's try to make one last push for a Premier League title on Klopp's, you know, kind of last season at the helm with, you know, a lot of those, these players, you know, Virgil van Dijk, Mohamed Salah, who, who've kind of been there for a pretty long time and are coming to the end of, of their careers, or at least their careers at the very top. So it just kind of seems like the band is putting, putting it together for one last gig, and they're going to see, you know, if they can have the best show and go out on a high note. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is... Some players start looking towards the future, right? They start thinking about, well, you know, this this manager is not going to be here. Someone else is going to be evaluating me. You know, those two names, at least who I just named, are not going to be key players like they've been in the past. And there's going to be some gaps. There's going to be a culture shift. There is going to be a huge personality and paradigm shift. So, you know, 
Am I as invested? Can I get distracted a little bit looking forward? Uh, I really don't think that's going to be the case just because of what you were saying, how much Klopp is respected. Uh, but I really do think it's going to go either one of two ways. And so far, it looks like it's been it's been going the former. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the Liverpool mentality has always been one of their strong suits. And they've had a couple off seasons here and there. It seems like every other year they have a kind of an off season. And but this season, they're right back in the thick of things in terms of the title race. And I have to imagine that they are one of the absolute favorites right now, if not the favorite. Um, obviously, there's only three you know, teams going for it, but I think Liverpool is probably in pole position. And the fact that this is a team that's kind of in transition, not transition in kind of a pejorative negative way, right? Because they're still playing at the top of the table. Um, and it's not like they're rebuilding, but they are in transition. I think they're moving away from the core that made them the most feared team in, in Europe for uh, quite a few years. You know, they've moved on uh, Bobby Firmino. They've moved on uh, Mane. Salah, like you said, is, you know, in his 30s, and you wonder how long he'll stay at Liverpool. Van Dijk, I think, is starting to slow down. There's And they've obviously their midfield had major changes. Fabinho going last summer, Henderson going last summer. They're replacing these guys with a ton of young players. And I think it's going to be a new era. It's just that, but I think one of the ways that you can mark a new era is to finish this era with a great run, finish this era with and with some exclamation points on top and basically say, you know, let's send Klopp out on the biggest ride. Um, and that would be a huge title for them to time Manchester United for total English uh, league titles in history. So it's going to be a really fun end to the season. I think the it's it's really interesting because it, the title, I think, means a ton to Liverpool. It means a ton to Arsenal. Um, Arsenal obviously is hasn't won the league in a long time, you know, yeah, probably 18 years or so. And for Man City, it's just another it's just another Tuesday. You know, they just win everything. So it's it's a really fun title race. You do not get many years where you have three teams in the title race. And, you know, it's possible that one of them will drop out. All three of these teams are still competing in Europe. So that's a team and a coach and a manager. Uh, the sun is about to set on them. Now let's flip it to a team that is potentially in a sunrise. And I say that because we're not really sure if this is going to be the shortest day of the year. You know, maybe this is uh, the middle of December and there's not a lot of, if I'm really far up in the Northern Hemisphere and there's not a lot of sunlight. And what we're talking about is actually the matchup this weekend. Uh, it's going to be Pochettino's Chelsea and trying to think and see uh, if they are ever going to fire him. I think over the last few weeks, Chelsea's found a little bit more form, uh, but the real the real kicker here is going to be uh, the matchup between Liverpool and Chelsea for the League Cup final. If Poch wins it, do you think they can fire him? Yeah, it's Chelsea. They can fire anyone. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> um, no, I mean, if they want to fire somebody, I mean, it's not the Roman era, so it's probably a little different, but I don't think, I think Bowley is a, a ruthless kind of guy too. And so if they feel like he's not the best guy to go forward, they'll fire him. I think they've give, they've basically said that this year is also kind of a write-off. The League Cup is interesting in the sense that it, it really does serve as kind of a, it's almost like it's a participation trophy in some way because most of the teams don't care about it. But once you win it, it becomes way more important. Then it's like, that's the thing that we care about so much this season. And you get to hold it up and say, look at my uh, reign. It's, it, I had, I won a trophy. And in England, everything is about trophies, right? And I think 
you could argue that all sports, right, are really about winning stuff. I think we've had this discussion before where I think the journey is sometimes overlooked when people just, you know, it's that kind of stupid Shaquille O'Neal rings argument when you just uh, want to describe a, or want to shoot down somebody else's intelligent thought or talking point. You just say, oh, yeah, but how many trophies did Harry Keen win? Or like, how many trophies did uh, Charles Barkley win? Uh, when he's in the NBA and it, it, yes, sports can be, you know, that's the goal for everybody. It's not everything, but the league cup serves as a way for everyone to just hold that up and say, look at what we did this year, just like Manchester United. You can't really argue with it when Eric Ten Hag or Mourinho or any of these teams that win the league cup basically say, look, I won the league cup. It was a successful year. I think this would serve as the perfect opportunity to kind of rewrite the narrative for Pochettino and Chelsea and say, look, I know we did terribly in the Premier League, but we're growing as a team. We now have won something. We have some winning experience. And now this is a platform that we can use to go again next year. Yeah, I think it's exactly the importance of it. And so to Chelsea, it, it is absolutely important because they, they know basically they have nothing to play for in the league. They're not going to get relegated. They're not going to see a European position. Uh, so this is really their season in a way. Here's my unpopular opinion, and I don't know what you... I'd really love to know your thoughts on this. I would take a 25% chance of winning a Champions League final than winning an FA or a League Cup. Maybe that makes me have a loser mentality, but that's my personal opinion. I'd be interested in what you think on that. No, I think that's completely right. I mean, I'd even take a lower chance than that. The the opportunity to win a Champions League... One Champions League is, I don't know, worth 20 League Cups to me. I, yeah, give me the ratio. What's the conversion? <laughs> Champions leagues are things that come around once in your lifetime for most clubs. You know what I mean? You know, nowadays with the major big clubs and there's only, you know, the your, the English teams are going to be always in the top five, ten clubs in, in Europe, especially if you're in a good run. It might become more common. But Manchester United has three Champions League titles in its history. Liverpool, who's the most successful by far, I think has six. Man City has one. Chelsea, I think, has two. Arsenal has zero, you know. Tottenham has zero. These these are things that come around almost never, right? So, and let alone league titles, right? League titles are something that City really only wins. League titles, you look at Manchester United, been a decade. Chelsea, it's probably been, I think, six, seven, eight years. Tottenham hasn't won some, any it's in, in 50 years. Arsenal hasn't won since 2005. You know, Liverpool's won one in the last... 30-something years, these are the major trophies and these are the things that you kind of define success in an era and kind of make the true legends. The League Cup is more just like a narrative for the local, for the fans and make you kind of feel fine about not firing a guy for another six months. But who cares about the League Cup to be in comparison with the Premier League and the Champions League? That said, they are fun to win. And I think, you know, we're not local fans, but I'm sure the local fans love going down to Wembley, kind of having a party. It's that kind of party atmosphere where you get to have a big day out in London and and uh, represent your team. And it's a game that everybody in the country is going to watch. So these are these are big games. They're really fun games because you can see just that extra edge at people caring, the players caring, uh, and and they're big moments. But it's it's nothing compared to those to those top trophies. I think it's really well said. And I'm not going to make you do it now, but in a future show, I am going to have you rank all of the trophies, including the Conference League, Europa League, uh, and all of the silverware that you can kind of win. And I would you know, love to see you know, what, what's the conversion ratio for one Conference League trophy to you know, how many League Cups. Uh, I'll have to think about what's the most important between Premier League and Champions League because I think 
I think uh, a lot of people have different opinions depending on what country you live in and things. But so yeah, that is a big game. Uh, it's coming up this weekend. Here is just Liverpool, who's kind of in an injury crisis right now. Uh, I think they have about ten players that are hurt. You know, notably, I think Salah has a little bit of a knock. I think Allison has a, a hamstring issue. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see if Liverpool kind of persevere through that and kind of get through this patch and stay healthy and get healthy for the kind of final push for the league. All right, so I think that's a, a good talking point on some of the big news between, well, the huge news at Liverpool and then you know working in Poch and Chelsea. Um, I think one of the other things that we probably should touch on here now that it's February and the January transfer window has come to a close is the really stark contrast between previous years spending in the league to this year. So uh, just using last year, 800 million euros were spent in January transfers. Now, January transfer window is a much smaller window, fewer blockbuster deals, and also you have to kind of pay a premium because you are basically taking a player from another league in the middle of their season, right? And then bring them into your club in the middle of the season. So you don't really get a full few months in the summer to prep and you know get acclimated you're kind of just thrown into a new culture thrown into a new league in the middle of the year and so you typically don't see huge transfers but instead of this 800 million what we saw last year only 80 million euros were spent which is a huge huge difference so what's going on there yeah you know traditionally i think like you said the january transfer window is a in a can be a really interesting time. There's, I think every club, if you look back, there's been monumental signings that have been made in the January transfer window. Just in case you're unfamiliar, it's open from January 1st to January 31st, and it's kind of a time mid-season for, for teams to to pick up players, add to their squads. Like you said, it tends not to be uh, when you're getting your kind of main targets because why, why did you buy them in the middle of the year rather than the beginning of the year so they could play for you all season? Um, tends to be you're buying players that aren't doing very well, aren't getting play time, playing time in their uh, previous club, and are or getting a loan deal. These types of things tend to be the main drivers. But what I think is is really happening is FFP, or um, it's not really FFP when it comes to the Premier League. I suppose I, it it is, but it's also the Premier League. I think has its own rules as well. And either way, the financial rules are coming into a play where teams are scared and it's because Everton got deducted 10 points this year which is absolutely crazy and may completely change the relegation battle and that was due to basically infringements upon financial rules that were in place they spent too much money relative to how much they earned and there's other threats that Everton again based on a different season may lose some money or may lose points as well as Nottingham Forest could be deducted points these are all kind of trials and investigations that are being done by the Premier League and I think especially with the COVID year and just how much of an arms race the Premier League is where every team has been kind of forced to spend to their limit in some way to try to compete they're all kind of looking at the January transfer window and saying, you know, maybe we need to slow down just so we can kind of settle, settle ourselves, settle our accounts and, and make sure that we know that we're on sound footing so that going forward, we're not going to run into problems if we miss Europe, uh, things like that. Yeah, a little conflicted on it. You know, I think we've talked this before, too, with kind of feeling like it's some of the big clubs pulling up the ladder behind themselves. But also, if you're going to have these kind of rules they should probably be enforced at some level. So it's actually interesting to see it be enforced and to see the kind of reaction from clubs and, you know, spending 10% of what was spent last 
last year. I mean, it does show that teams are, uh, you know, pretty, pretty afraid of it. I think one of the other things I quickly wanted to talk here was something that we've kind of been seeing spring up more and more is teams kind of establishing footballing groups or sporting groups in a way where they more or less have teams in a bunch of different leagues. So there's basically one group ownership. It'd be like a parent company. And then they have, you know, their top teams in a league in France, a league in England, a league in Spain, a league in Belgium. And it's really becoming kind of, I hate to say anti-football, but in a way anti-football because it's just another case of the rich get richer. And for these other clubs, if you're like the tier two or tier three one in a football group, like are you more or less like a, a vassal state to the main team where your, your players are siphoned and pushed? Uh, you know, you're kind of a second afterthought versus, you know, actually trying to go after it and win your league. I'm loving all the uh, feudal references and, uh, and uh, Roman and for references we're making this episode, we will do our best to continue it. But I think there's one team that's obviously not afraid of FFP, I think, and that's Manchester City. They've never, they part of that is because, you know, they have essentially what seems like infinite money and they're being investigated for things like that. But part of it is also they spend their money incredibly well. And part of the way that they've spent their money incredibly well and part of what has driven this kind of new conversation about this is they, are buying and from themselves, I guess. They're uh, trading a guy, uh, Savio, who's a, a very young Brazilian attacking player who's currently playing for a Spanish club uh, named Girona. And Girona, shockingly, has been essentially at the top of the table in Spain, in La Liga, for pretty much the entire year, which is very, very rare for that to happen. You know, once... Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid kind of reestablished themselves at the top of the of La Liga, you know, since really the Messi, Ronaldo, and Simeone era. There's been essentially no invasion into that top three. There's been no way for anybody to really break in. And so for a tiny little club like Girona, which has a budget that's probably worth less than half of one Jude Bellingham, to really make a push for the top of the table is a really big signal of intent, you know, kudos to their players and their team, but also I think uh, kudos to the city model in terms of how they are developing clubs, how they're developing playing styles, and how they're running football clubs in terms of kind of like a football strategy. But the fact that they can kind of give a guy playing time that he wouldn't get at Manchester City at uh, on a team that is playing very well in La Liga, and La Liga is a more technically difficult and more challenging league than the Premier League is and so the fact that you can almost guarantee that that guy's going to get first team football there and then basically purchase him whenever you want whenever you think he's ready to go to Manchester City without any other team being able to really jump in and buy him I think does pose a lot of problems for are these teams actually independent from each other because in in theory they're all competing to win the Champions League against each other uh, so the fact that is that relationship there it is strange. And I think this is happening more and more. You can even see it with Manchester United and Ineos buying Manchester United. They run Nice, which is a team in France that's, uh, I think, second in Liga 1 right now. Um, you know, what's going to happen if Liga, uh, Nice and Manchester United are put against each other in the same Champions League group? Um, you know, these are, these are things that I think in general can be really bad for soccer because 
there's obviously going to be a, a kind of jewel in the crown for each of these ownership groups. And the rest of those teams, like you said, are going to be subservient to that. Did we make a bet to try to work in feudal references into every segment that we were both unaware of and are doing? So excellent. Well done. That's flawless, smooth, great work. I'll try to keep up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's really stupid because I think the Premier League needed 14 teams to say, no, we do not want Premier League teams to be able to own multiple clubs. And I think they only got about 12 teams to vote. So unfortunately, that did not pass, and it's still going to be okay for teams like City to you know be a part of and kind of more or less own multiple other teams. And it's really dumb too because you know I guess with you know, any kind of accounting or why there's always creative ways to get around stuff like FFP, but it is kind of stupid if you own a team, like let's say you're Newcastle and you have a Saudi Arabian affiliate uh, in, in that league. Well, let's say you're kind of, your books aren't looking too good this year. Well, let me sell some of my dead weight that's used to be good. Who's sitting on my bench. So let me sell him for three times the market price to my affiliate in Saudi Arabia. And Oh, well look, my, my revenue is now in the green. So it, it, it's just really, I really don't like it. Yeah, and to be fair, the Premier League is trying to limit those things with new rules and stuff, but there's always ways around, I think, uh, for these kind of massive clubs that have uh, a lot of power and a lot of ways, subtle ways to get around these types of things. Either way, uh, one thing that we should mention is that there have been some uh, Americans that have moved on, or a winter transfer window, excuse me, um, one of those, and probably the the most uh, famous and important, would be Gio Reyna, who's finally making his entrance into the Premier League. Well, not finally. I think he's still only like 22 or 23. But Gio Reyna is a really famous last name in American soccer. His dad was a longtime uh, player for the U.S. men's national team. And there's a, a crazy story involving Gio Reyna and his dad and uh, the whole World Cup, which maybe I think we'll touch on in another time. But he's a, a player that was kind of destined for the very top, was dominating at Dortmund, but has had a really injury-riddled, I think, last two years. And now he's coming to Nottingham Forest in the middle of the year in a relegation battle. What do you what do you think about that, and what do you expect to see from Gio? I think it's interesting that Dortmund are are loaning this player and you know maybe that is just because it's january and he doesn't really fit into the plans and you know it's obviously a lot harder to sell and maybe they're trying to shop him a little bit but i, I do think it is really interesting to kind of see how he will move from one of the you know historic best teams the top of the table dortmund in in germany to kind of being part of a team that is fighting for their lives in relegation. That is a huge different culture shift that really changes how a player plays and, and you know, kind of the vibe and the, the locker room atmosphere for a team. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting, probably good for him uh, overall to kind of get a little bit of that, at least the mental side of that experience. Uh, but uh, we'll see how he does at Forest. Just good to see another exciting young American in the prem. Yeah. I never like guys going to, relegation battles especially technical players like that who are attacking players because i think most of the time the priority becomes on a solid defensive structure and scoring a goal here and there protecting a lead those managers do not tend to have a lot of time for young players that can be hit or miss have a lot of flair can make a lot of mistakes but also bring you know they have high highs and low lows and those are not the players that relegation ma battling managers tend to want they want the reliable guys that they know 
aren't going to, you know, kind of crumble under the pressure and aren't going to make those mistakes when even one or two points here and there are so critical. So, you know, my hopes are not very high, but it's not going to ruin his career or anything for him not to play well. Um, he's still a young man, and I think most people would understand that, you know, he's not going to, it's going to be difficult for him to set the world alight at Nottingham Forest, but I'm not, I don't think we'll see too much craziness here. But one thing that, if you've been watching the Premier League in the last uh, month or two, you will have noticed that some Premier League stars like Hu Ming Sun and uh, Mo Salah hadn't been playing in the Premier League, uh, which is a little bit weird, I think. Uh, well, they were maybe coming from other sports, but they've actually been away playing other soccer. Yeah, if you haven't seen these names, do not worry. There was not some kind of crazy injuries that kind of went around just to these players. Uh, but every four years, just like we kind of talk about with the World Cup, the Euros, um, the Asia, AFC Asian Cup, it's kind of unique with these competitions is that they kind of happen in the middle of the season. I think the African Nations Cup in the future is hoping to no longer be in the middle of the winter, but uh, at least this year, it kind of ended up that way, I think, with some some delays to the tournament. But it just means that you lose some of your players and a lot of times some of your best players for about a month, a month and a half, depending on how far teams go. So it really does hurt teams. It really makes the calculus a little bit different. So if you have a midfield duo that are both African, for example, Spurs with uh, Papsar and Basuma, you had to go without them for you know, about a month and change. So it really does... Uh, hurt teams for a little bit but it's good for these players and you actually can't tell them not to go play for for their uh, national teams and yeah these are these are some exciting tournaments and very interestingly enough uh some of the favorites didn't end up actually even making it to the final so i think senegal was the favorite going into the tournament and didn't make it to the final and as well as south korea with klinsman at the helm as the manager uh, also bowed out and did not make it to the final so instead we have qatar went the less said about Jurgen Klinsmann managing soccer teams, the better. I mean, the guy, the fact that they gave him that job after watching what he did with the U.S. and since then is just unbelievable, and they deserve to have gone out for that. Honestly, they're like, terrible. Um, if you don't... This has to be it. There's no way he gets another shot, right? I mean, yeah. no, there's no yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, if you guys don't know, Jurgen Klinsmann did manage the U.S. men's national team for some period of time. He was a great player, a uh, very good German player. He played for Tottenham. Spurs, yeah. Was like, oh, the Spurs um, he, but he's just, he never was very impressive as a manager and, you know, promised a lot of big things for the United States, but didn't, didn't do so well. And it is, you know, there's so much drama in these tournaments. The African Cup of Nations is every two years, I believe. But Ivory Coast, I think, had some craziness where they were about to go out in the group stage. I think they fired their coach, uh, brought in a new guy, somehow made the finals again, won the whole thing. But you can tell how much these tournaments mean to their to the players. You know, I think for a lot of players, um, especially players that are kind of coming from countries that are, maybe aren't quite as big on the national stage, representing their country tends to be the most important thing in their soccer career, um, whether that's at one of these uh, kind of continental tournaments or whether that it's at the World Cup, I mean, especially the World Cup. Um, these are often the things that these players kind of live for. So can lead to really exciting games. You kind of, it's kind of a shame that sometimes that they ha kind of happen in the middle of the season, it can be a little bit difficult to keep up with them. And part of the issues is, are all the time zones and things like that, but um, there were some really fun tournaments. There was a lot of good good footy or at least exciting soccer. 
um, that happened. But now all of these teams should be back at full strength, reg- other than you know the normal injuries and suspensions and things, and finish out the season with their entire team. All right, so I think it's going to take us to the tail end of our episode here. But I think one thing we do need to talk, and it's an important talk right now, especially if you are supporting a team that is has some hopes for Champions League. We've talked about this before, is the potential for a fifth Champions League spot. Uh, right now, so it's going to be the top two coefficients, European coefficients, uh, the top two leagues for this season will get a fifth spot for the Champions League. So that would mean... Not to the top four, the top five would make it. And right now, I think it's sitting Italy in one, Germany in two, and England in a close third place. But there's still a lot of there's still a lot of knockout rounds to play. So th- this is really important to kind of see which one of these three take that fifth spot. Yeah, it's a little too early to be really looking into it. But essentially, what do the coefficients mean? It's essentially how well are the teams doing in Europe. So if an English team does wins a game in a European competition, so the Conference League, the Champions League, the Europa League, they get some amount of points, and you get more points for going farther in the tournament. You get a ton of points for winning each of those tournaments, and then they divide it by how many of the teams uh, played in that in Europe per league, uh, essentially. So the basically, if, you, if you're really, this applies probably most to Tottenham fans, Aston Villa fans, and Manchester United fans who are kind of gunning for that fifth spot, uh, to make the Champions League, then you kind of want English teams, even though we all kind of dislike each other's English teams, uh, you kind of want English teams to do well in Europe uh, and go far in Europe because that's going to guarantee that that fifth spot becomes goes from a Europa League spot into a Champions League spot. All right. So I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Again, we just want to kind of get you back on track and you know get ourselves back on track from our winter hibernation uh, we're going to be back here with some more episodes for you all and get back into giving you some more teams breakdowns. So stick with us and we'll give you some more content. Signing off.